This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Today we are finishing up, if you're new, uh, if you're new, first of all, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here, so uh, let me just extend a welcome to you and say it's really great to have you with us. Thanks for, thanks for being here today. And we are uh, finishing up a little mini-series, it was a three-part series on generosity. So today we're going to talk about grace-driven generosity, and we're going to do that from 2 Corinthians 8. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in the seat uh, uh, in front of you, under the seat in front of you, and you can open up to page 563, because I'm just going to walk through this passage verse by verse, and you'll be able to track along with us and see what we are uh, talking about. So here's what we've said about generosity so far. Two weeks ago, Uh, we did a survey, kind of the whole Bible, um, and we saw that the storyline of the Bible from the garden to the city, the great city, the the, the new New Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth, that from Genesis to Revelation, the storyline is a story of God's generosity, that God is fundamentally a generous God, and that's reflected uh, in, in the peak of the story, that's reflected in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. So we talked about that and said anything we want to say about generosity needs to be founded upon that we have a generous God and that we're simply responding to him and what he's done in us. Last week, we talked about the passage where Jesus teaches uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we saw how Paul talks about in that uh, passage in Acts 20 that the flourishing life, that the full life, that the abundant life is about giving what we have. And so he talked about three areas in there that we looked at, giving of our time, and what it means in a busy world for us to prioritize our time so that we have margin and can give of our time to serve others, to relate to others, to help others, to listen to others, to befriend others, to be a witness to others. We talked about what it means to give our heart that, uh, that really it's a big sacrifice to enter relationships in a way where we say, I'm going to bear your burdens and uh, trust that you'll bear mine. So we talked about giving the heart, giving time, giving heart, generosity. And then we talked about how Paul used his resources um, to be generous to the church in Ephesus. So we talked about those three. Today, we're going to talk about where when I said we're going to talk about generosity, many probably guessed this is what we're talking about, but uh, it's just one of the three messages. We're talking about uh, grace-driven generosity in terms of financial giving. What does it mean to be a person who is freely giving, motivated by the grace of God? So to do that, we're going to look at this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word to us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's uh, pray and offer our hearts and minds to the Lord. God, we do celebrate your generosity, and we pray that once again you would be gracious with us and you would open our hearts and minds. We pray for the gracious gift of the Spirit to illumine this text to us. We pray for the work of the Spirit to generously bring conviction, to bring encouragement, uh, to help us to see you afresh, Lord. Uh, we need you, Lord. We, we uh, so easily embrace the ideas of our culture, the idols of our culture, and uh, we pray that you would just help us to distinctly understand your generosity and to be those who, in view of your mercy to us, are generous as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's the context of the passage we just read. Um, we last year went through the book of First Corinthians and saw how uh, that was really a messed up church that Paul had written a letter to that was uh, rather corrective in many parts to uh, help them get back on track. And in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, so that's the context of where we are here. In chapter 7, Paul has just said to them, Man, this is great news, Titus has visited me, Titus had been among the church, and Titus has reported that you received the letter, the corrective letter, and that you were grieved by what you heard, and that your grief led to repentance. In other words, Paul is saying, this is great. I had to write, I had to say some hard things. But you know what? You heard those hard things, and you've changed and are changing. This is so good. Our relationship is intact, and uh, you're responding to the Lord. So chapter 7 is this wonderful celebration of God's work in the Corinthians. In chapter 8, he is now bringing to their attention a topic which they need to be encouraged to grow. So he is now wanting to address an issue in the church, and it has to do with an offering. It has to do with a collection that he is taking for the poor, the poverty-stricken Christians in Jerusalem. Now, at the end of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, he had already addressed this offering. This is what he said. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And so what he's reminding them of is that he had instructed them to, uh, if they want to participate in this offering, to set aside money each week and uh, to put a little bit aside. What's happening is Paul is going to the Gentile churches. So the church started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost with the Spirit being poured out upon the believers there. It started in Jerusalem among Jewish, uh, well, among Jewish people who received Christ. And so the, the base is the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And then 
other, Paul goes out and is taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And so now he's established churches in these various cities, and he is asking them to participate in giving so that they can fund the people in Jerusalem who are experiencing persecution and therefore, therefore are poor. The Corinthians had begun this. We're going to find, if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll find out they had begun to do this, but evidently they have grown slack. So they were setting aside money each time. What he's saying is, I don't want to show up and say, hey, surprise, a special offering today to help people in Jerusalem. Rather, he said, hey, I, why don't you every week set some aside so when I come, there'll be a significant contribution to help your brothers there. And that'll do two things. It will uh, alleviate their suffering, and it will show the union of Jew and Gentile in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul, in chapters 8 and 9, is addressing their giving. And he does so by pointing to the grace of God. The grace of God is the primary theme in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. He's talking about giving, but the theme is grace. And grace is spoken of in several ways, but at least two ways in this passage. In the first way, it's spoken of as something that God does among the churches, a work of God. So verse 1 we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. So this is God doing something among the churches in Macedonia. But grace is also spoken of as something that is expressed through Christians. So, for instance, in verse 6 that we just read, he says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace this act of grace, meaning that's the gift, or verse 7, the last phrase of the whole section. See that you excel in this act of grace also. So there, it's their giving. It's something through them. So the grace of God to them, and then the grace of God through them through giving. So really the theme of this passage is the grace of God to us should overflow in the grace of giving through us. The grace of God to us should overflow in the grace of giving through us. And so I'm going to look at those two ideas in this passage. The first is the grace of God to us. So to inspire the Corinthians to finish what they've begun, collecting money for the church in Jerusalem, uh, he directs them to the compelling example of the church in Macedonia who gave sacrificially, the churches in Macedonia gave sacrificially uh, from dire circumstances. They were in real trouble themselves, and yet they gave. Now, some of these churches, if you've read the New Testament, you'd be familiar with. Uh, the churches in Macedonia were, for instance, Philippi. The letter to the Philippians is written to one of the churches in Macedonia, or the church at Thessalonica. So these were the churches, some of the churches in Macedonia, who are experiencing great difficulty, and yet they've given, and Paul is now informing the Corinthians about that. But what he is wanting them to realize is not just the sacrifice, or not even primarily the sacrifice of the Macedonians. What he's wanting them to realize is the grace of God. Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He isn't introducing these sacrificial Christians to sort of shame the Corinthians. 
In other words, he's not saying, now you guys have started, started to lag a bit, uh, but they are excellent. He, he's not calling them to measure up to the Macedonians. It's not like the parent who says to one of their kids, I wish you could be more like your older brother. That's a shaming. That's a condemnation. There's no, no, there, there's no heart for genuine change with that kind of idea. That's not what Paul is doing here. He's simply using the Macedonians as an illustration. Here's what it's an illustration of. He's saying, this is what it looks like when a church is overcome by the grace of God. That's what he's saying. I want you to know about the grace of God. When the grace of God floods a life or floods a church or floods a city of churches or a group of churches, the result is generosity. Generosity is a measure of our experience of the grace of God. It really is. It's not the only measure. There's other measures. Gratitude is a measure of our experience of the grace of God. Um, love for others is a measure of our experience of the grace of God. But in this passage, what is highlighted as the barometer that you can measure and check your experience and understanding of the grace of God is generosity. That shows up when we've known God, when that's what he says here, when we've experienced God. Now, so he's, what he's really saying to them at the beginning is he's starting off and saying, I'm going to talk about this offering, but it's really not about the money. It's about the grace of God. Now, I don't know. I sort of have a uh, probably, this is cynical, but I probably, uh, you know, I have a default. When I hear somebody say it's not about the money, my assumption is it's 100% about the money. It's 100%. So when I, hear, when I hear an athlete say, for instance, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sign. I'm, going, I'm not going to stay with this team anymore. It's not about the money why I'm going to this other opportunity. I want to say, yeah, it is 100% about the money. But in this case, I have to put my cynicism aside because it's the Word of God and it's Paul speaking. And Paul is saying, it's not about the money. It's about grace. I want you to know, not about their giving, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given to them for in their severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I want you to know what grace looks like. It's not just a concept. It's not just a warm thought. It's not just a religious word. It's something that changes lives and changes churches so that they are categorically different than they would be had they not experienced grace. Without the grace of God, nobody's doing this. That's why I want them to see this is grace. We want you to know about the grace of God. And what does he want them to know? Well, the grace of God has been given. This came from God. This is something they've received. It's been given to them. The tense of the verb in the original language is interesting. It's past, well, it's obviously passive. God has given it. But the tense of the verb indicates that grace was given in the past and it continues. It's given in the past and it's continuing. So they received the grace of God when they were first converted but then their lives are changed. They didn't stay where they were. The grace of God has continued in them. It's continued to work in them, and it's leading them to give. See, they first encountered the grace of God, and they trusted Jesus as their Savior. They gave their lives to him. 
But you know what? However long this is after their conversion, they're still growing in that. They're still giving themselves to the Lord. That's what verse 5 says. This was not as we expected. They gave, not as we expected, because they were poor, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They didn't just walk an aisle and pray a prayer and give their lives to the Lord. This was their life. This was following Jesus. And they, they had come to trust him, and they were growing in their trust for God. God had done the greatest thing for them in raising them from death to life and opening their spiritual eyes and forgiving their sins. God had done this great thing for them. And if they could trust him for that, if they could trust him for eternity, they could certainly trust him for smaller things, like, for them, necessities of life. They knew he would care for their needs. See, grace produces trust in God, and trust in God overflows in generosity. It's interesting, one of these churches in Macedonia, later, Paul's jailed later, and he writes them a letter. In the letter to the Philippians, he reminds them of this, Man, did they live this out. Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. They must have lived with a confidence. That's the the only explanation of why someone in extreme poverty can overflow into generosity. The only explanation for that is that there is a confidence in the grace of God to meet all of our needs all of their needs, to care for them. This week I read a little bit about something I I was unaware of that um, after World War II, where obviously millions of people died, but after World War II there was a bit of a crisis, an orphan crisis. Children who had uh, been through the war and then had lost their parents in the war. And um, so in Europe, there was, uh, you know, a significant effort to care for uh, many, many orphans, and they built facilities to care for them and did the best they could, uh, providing, they provided food and clothing. Children were able to, you know, be bathed and cared for. They were able to eat uh, healthy, and um, so they were just cared for. But one of the things they found was that many of the children in these various bunkhouses were not sleeping at night. Um, That they would stay up either all night or a significant portion of the night. And they began to interview the children who had been through so much suffering and so much tragedy as to why they were not sleeping at night. And when they found a consistent response, a consistent answer from the kids, uh, they came up with a very simple solution which solved the problem and the kids began to sleep. What they did was they gave a small loaf of bread and they put it in the hands of each kid when they went to bed. These were children who in wartime and post-war never knew if they would have something to eat the next day and thus they were anxious about food. But the, the confidence they had in holding bread in their hands that they knew they had something for the next day enabled them to rest and to fall asleep. And in many ways, as the author I read pointed out of that story, the author I read pointed out, in many ways, it is the grace of God that is the bread we hold on to and sleep with. It's this verse even, my God shall supply all your needs according 
to his riches in glory. It's the confidence that God provides. It's the grace of God to us who has met our greatest need that we can trust he will meet our lesser needs. You know, it's worth each of us asking, what does my generosity reveal about my understanding and my experience of the grace of God? What does my generosity reveal about my understanding of God's faithfulness and provision? Do I trust his grace for me personally? Do I fall asleep holding on to his grace or do I fall asleep holding on to my ability? See, that that attitude affects how we live, whether generously or not. I want you to know, Paul says, that about the grace that has been given to these churches, among these churches, because the grace of God to us is intended to overflow in the grace of giving through us. Let's look at that, the grace of giving through us. The giving of this church is based, first of all, uh, they're giving by grace and not by circumstances, according to grace and not according to circumstances. If the Gentile churches are giving money to care for and demonstrate their solidarity with the poor Christians in Jerusalem, it would have been understandable to exempt the Macedonian churches. It would have been totally fine for Paul to not even let them know about it, to not even talk about it, because they are in difficult situations themselves. Look at what the passage says in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, in extreme poverty... The word means rock-bottom poverty. In the midst of that, they participate. Now, they are probably in poverty for similar reasons that the people are struggling in Jerusalem. Their coming to faith has brought social ostracism and social pressure to them, where perhaps some of them have lost their jobs, people have ceased to trade with them uh, or to buy their products. And so they're experiencing poverty themselves for their faith, and yet they're wanting to give and help others. They're wanting to be a part of the churches, these churches to gather together in their mission. Their severe affliction produced an abundance of joy, Paul says. Their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That is the power of grace. When we meet Christ, we are brought into an upside-down kingdom where many of the values are the exact opposite of the values of the world. Things work differently in the kingdom of God than they do in the world. Things work differently by the power of grace. There's no other explanation of severe affliction producing joy of extreme poverty overflowing into generosity. Listen, they are materially poor, but they are spiritually rich. Many of us know the exact opposite experience. On a historic scale and on a world scale, there's really not anyone in the room that's not rich in a historic scale, and certainly in much of the world today. And that oftentimes our material wealth has led or has compromised us and we are spiritually poor. See, here's the thing we learn about the Macedonians here. Their standard of giving is not tied to their circumstances. Their standard of giving is tied to what Christ has done for them. 
I want you to know about the grace of God in the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God is their standard of giving and their trust that he will continue to provide for them. Listen, the churches in Macedonia, they are flourishing. This is the flourishing life. The flourishing life is being free. They're not bound with fear. They're not in bondage to fear for tomorrow. They are trusting God for tomorrow. They are not gripped in the chains of selfishness and self-preservation and self-orientation. They have been freed by the gospel to freely give what little they have, looking to God and looking to the needs of others. They want their lives to count for Jesus. They want to be a part of his purposes. And so they give according to their means. But Paul says they give, verse 3, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They gave beyond what would be rational, beyond what would be normal, beyond what would, it's a reckless kind of abandon to the grace of God. Arguably, the churches in Macedonia are the richest churches in the New Testament, rich in what counts. And their giving out of need makes their gift all the more precious. Because it's really a sign of, Lord, all we have is yours. When, um, when I was in college, uh, I spent a summer with a, a campus ministry uh, on a mission trip to Panama. So I lived an entire summer with a group of, I don't know, 20, 25 college students. Uh, and we were in uh, Panama doing uh, evangelism. And we did evangelism with college students uh, on campuses uh, around Panama City. Uh, the country of Panama, not, the, not Panama City, Florida, but the country of Panama, like the canal place and all that. Uh, and so we were doing evangelism. But, you know, I'm sure these college kids from the U.S., I'm sure our hosts looked at us. They were very gracious, very polite. But the local leaders there, they looked at us and must have thought we were a bit soft. And so I, I can still remember sitting in the room when the guy came in and said, we're going to do something different. We're going to go out into villages uh, where there's no running water and uh, where there's no electricity, and we're going to trust God. We're just going to go, we're going to separate you out in pairs or whatever it was, and you're just going to go to knock on huts and uh, just talk to people about Jesus and trust God for meals. And so anyway, that was a bit of a wake-up call for a college kid, and I'm thinking, wow, okay, I'm out here in the jungles of uh, Panama knocking on huts, probably fulfilling my parents' greatest fears at that moment, you know. Uh, and so I, I remember this family that uh, was extremely poor, but they were Christians. And we uh, met them. We actually did something to help them out at their place. And then they, they offered us a meal, which was a significant, they didn't have much food. It was a significant thing that they offered us a meal. And what I remember about the meal, I remember it was soup. And I remember it was, I don't know, I didn't measure 98% broth, you know, maybe a little bit of vegetables thrown in. It was the food of someone who didn't have much to live on. Uh, but what I remember is their great joy in giving. They, they had something they felt to give to us, to bless us, to encourage us. And it was a meal that was more precious than, I don't know, steak and lobster at a five-star uh, dining establishment in the U.S. Why? Because it tasted better? No. Because the service and the environment was exquisite? No. 
It was rich. It was lavish. It was glorious because it came from someone who had so little to give, and yet they wanted to take what they had and share with someone from another world who was passing through their village. The Panamanian, I mean, sorry, the, the Macedonians, or those Panamanians for sure, and the Macedonians are some of the richest people, are some of the richest people because they know the grace of God and the heart to give. See, a key observation about the Macedonians here and a key application for us is that our attitude toward money is not determined by how much we have. We always think that. I don't know about you, but I always think, yeah, I'll be more generous if I want to just have a little more. If I just have a little more, I'll be a little more <laughs> generous. But that's not really accurate. That's not really true, is it? It doesn't work, doesn't work in this example. It doesn't work using the math of the grace of God. The grace of God takes root in our heart, and it means that, uh, that, that it is to affect me such that I overflow in a generosity of giving, like right now, with whatever I've been entrusted. An extensive study was done between 2011 and 2014 among Christians uh, in the U.S., and I read a little bit about this study, 50,000 American Christians participated, so that's a decent sample size, 50,000 uh, participated, and they asked them about their habits and about a number of things, and generosity was one of the categories they asked about. And 85% of Christians in America feel they don't have enough to share generously. 85% of Christians feel they don't have enough to share generously. And yet when I read this passage, it leads me to believe that what I need is not more money to live generously. What I need is a fresh experience, a deeper experience of the grace of God that loosens my grip on what I have. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we need. The grace of God to overflow through us. So they give by grace and not by their circumstances. Secondly, they give by freedom and not obligation. Look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. That means they wanted to do this. Paul didn't come in coercing them to give. He didn't come in guilting them to give. And that's what's so important here. He's not guilting them by the Macedonian example. He's not guilting the Corinthians, just like he didn't guilt the Macedonians. He's not pressuring them. He doesn't manipulate them with promises of great wealth if they will give. You know, I don't think the prosperity gospel, the promises of great physical, financial wealth and blessing in the here and now would work too well in Macedonia or would be too appealing in Jerusalem or any place where Christians are having their belongings taken and are giving their lives for the gospel. The American view of the prosperity gospel looks awfully thin and threadbare in that context. They're offering something that's a much greater, much greater riches, and they want in on that. They want in on that. 
That they, they, Paul has just come preaching Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I knew nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He is painting a glorious picture of Jesus Christ. He's announcing how Christ saves us, how Christ builds us into a people for his glory and calls us to his mission. That's what he's done. And what's their response? Well, look at verse 4. They were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They're begging. Usually we think of fundraising as the fundraiser begging. We think of fundraising as going to people who have a lot and asking them to give more. In this case, it's Paul preaching Jesus and people in extreme poverty begging for the favor to take part in the relief of the saints. Favor, it's the same word used elsewhere in this passage. The original is the same word used elsewhere as grace. They beg for the grace to take part. The word take part is the same word for fellowship elsewhere. It's a word koinonia. It means to join together, to work together, to take part together, to partner together. So they are saying in this passage, he says, they begged us for the grace, for the gracious opportunity of fellowshipping with the other believers, of taking part with the other believers on the mission of God to minister to the saints in Jerusalem. They didn't want to be excluded. They didn't want their circumstances to necessarily separate them from the purposes of God. They wanted to take whatever they had, and they wanted to throw it all in to the mission of God, for the grace of God had gripped their heart. The Savior had taken them out of death and translated them to light. They used to live for themselves in a kingdom of darkness, and now their world has been turned upside down. And they want, they're begging for the opportunity to participate. They're pleading for the opportunity. They're not being coerced. You see, grace produces a free and joyful response to join with others in giving for God's mission. This isn't dry duty. This isn't paying a monthly bill. This isn't an afterthought, like digging through the pockets. I think I got a little change here. This is not some kind of afterthought. This is the grace of God come crashing down on a people and reorienting the way they understand life, moving from those who are, uh, whose goal is to receive to be those whose goal is to give. For them, giving is not an empty obligation. It's something they would beg for. Paul's words, not mine. Beg for. They give by grace and not circumstance. They give uh, by freedom and joy and not obligation. They give as a lifestyle and not an event. Now, here's why I say that. Paul is calling the Corinthians here to a way of life and not a one-time offering. He's calling them to a way of life. And, and I see that in this way through the description of the Macedonians. Verse 5, and this is so they begged, and this is not what we expected. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that either. Don't expect them they begging. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Meaning they gave themselves first to the Lord and then they participated in the offering. So that's the foundation is they gave themselves to God. They said, Lord, it's... it's uh, uh, well, we sang it all over the place this morning, didn't we? I surrender all. I give my life. I give my all to follow you, to follow you. My wealth is in the cross. When I count it all up, 
I say the greatest riches in my life are the grace of God. We sang it repeatedly this morning. And that's what they said, Lord, I give myself to you. It's not just an offering. It's much more inclusive. That's why I saved talking about finances till the end, because we all jump to think, oh, that's what it's about. That's why we talked about what God is like, and that's why we talked about our time, our heart, our emotions, our service, our gifts. See, what they really came to believe is that Jesus is Lord. You know, that's the fundamental confession of the early church. Jesus is Lord. That's why they got in trouble, because you were required to proclaim Caesar as Lord under the Roman government. But they proclaimed Jesus is Lord. And that meant that Jesus is Lord of all that I have and all that I am. But secondly, Paul is calling the Christians here to to excel in giving. That's why I believe it's not just a one-time thing, but it's a way of life. He's calling the Corinthians to finish what they started. Titus had helped them begin setting aside money, but evidently now they've lacked, and now Paul is calling them to be faithful. Look down at verse 10. We didn't read this far. But verse 10, it says, In this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you. It benefits them to experience the grace of God to be a part of his purposes, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He said a year ago you started to desire to be a part of this project, to be a part of this giving, uh, this offering. You wanted to a year ago. Now let your actions match your desire. That's what he says. So he's saying something pretty pointed to them, is he not? I mean, it's pretty pointed. Let your actions, I know it's in your heart, and let your actions match it. And then, like Paul, in typical grace-oriented fashion, uh, he calls them to excel in giving, but he does it by recognizing grace already in their life. Grace is all over this church. They've repented. He's grateful for that. And so he says in verse 7, As you excel in everything, in faith, as you trust God, as you have the gift of faith, as you believe God to work in your church and in your lives and in your city. In speech, he says, as verse 7, as you excel in speech, as you have teaching of the Word of God in your church, as you have spiritual gifts around the Word of God, like the gift of prophecy, for instance. In knowledge, you know the Lord. God, God speaks to you. Get You know Christ. You know salvation through His Word and through Paul's preaching primarily. And so he says, you have these things. You, you're a church that excels in faith. You excel in speech, Corinthians. You excel in knowledge. So in all earnestness and in our love for you, because I love you, Paul says, I need to tell you this, excel in giving too. Excel in this act of grace because the grace of God to you is evidenced in the grace of giving through you. This is what he says. So how does this apply to us? Well, if you're new here, you know, I'd probably want to communicate a few things. One is, uh, I rarely talk about money, but I'm talking about it today because it's a tangible evidence, a primary tangible evidence of our experience of grace is how we handle our money. Um, so this isn't a regular topic, but when it comes up in the Scripture, we certainly don't shy away from it uh, at the, over the concern of being misunderstood. 
If it's in the scripture, I'm just not concerned about being misunderstood. I just trust that God's word will have its way with all of us. Now, let me start <clears throat> by saying we are not, as a church, in the middle of a, any kind of fundraising campaign. Uh, these three messages, they're done. In just a few minutes, we're done. Next week, we're going to begin a series on Psalm 119, on the Word of God. So this didn't lead up to a special offering. We don't have a special offering. We're not about to play some mood music, and I'm going to do a, do, a, do a deal with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not doing that. This is not about that. It's about the grace of God and how it affects our handling of our Scripture and our giving. And I also want you to know, not only are we in a fund, not in a fundraising campaign, not only are we not taking a special offering, but our church is doing fine financially, thanks to the generosity of God's people. So about nine days ago, which would be uh, the end of August, August 31st, uh, we complete our fiscal year. So our fiscal year kind of runs like a school year, starts September 1, ends in August. We just completed our fiscal year as a church. And by the grace of God, to the glory of God, I'm happy to say that our income came in at 8% over our budget. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thank, thank the Lord. And, and thank you who participate and give generously. Thank you. Our Generations Fund, which is an annual fund that we have uh, done um, for our building, um, the cycle of that doesn't run like our fiscal year. So the cycle of that ends at the end of October. And so our finance committee uh, told me that at the current giving for that, we're on track to be 20% over the pledged amount. 20% over the pledged amount. God's grace has produced some real generosity in our church. And I'm going to say praise God for that. And I want to say thank you for being a part of God's generosity mission. But like Paul says in verse 7, we all can grow, and we can grow in excelling in the grace of giving. We have room as a church to grow in our experience of grace overall. We have a room in our church for all of us overall to grow in our experience of grace which is manifest in giving so for instance last year in our church um, one in five a little more slightly more than that 21 percent a percentage point more than one in five one in five of our members at grace not, not our attenders not our guests but one in five of our members gave nothing to the church for the year one in five now, a few of those people may not have earned anything, so they may have been out of work and uh, nothing in, nothing out. I mean, that would make total sense, wouldn't it, if you had no income? And I don't know who those 20% are. Uh, as pastors, we've uh, taken the road. We've made the choice that we don't look at any individual's giving records. Uh, we don't think that would be a breach of integrity. We don't think that would be sinful. We don't think anywhere in the Scripture that's forbidden, but that's a choice that we've made, is that we don't look at people's finances, what they give. I know what my family gives, and that's it. I don't know what anybody else gives, so I'm not looking at the room. So I'm not looking on this side. I, I have no idea. Where, I don't know. I just, I, I get from our finance committee, I, they present to the elders a pie chart, that these are categories of income giving from people in the church, so I just know generally that, 20%. 
Another almost 20%, 18%. So another one in f- almost one in five church members, not attenders or guests, but members, um, last year gave uh, under less than $100 per month. So the, the number is 40% of our church members, 40%, uh, gave $100 or less per month last year. Now, someone who is, uh, and again, I don't know this, who it is, so I don't know the story. Some of those folks work, part, some of you work part-time. Maybe you're a student, you work part-time. Uh, someone who gives $100 a month, if they earn, if their salary is, is a gross of $12,000 a year, then $100 a month would be a tithe. That could be very generous for a person with a salary of $12,000. Uh, there may be some people that give outside of the church, so I don't know all of how that, all that works. But I do know that for most of the 40% in that category, there is room to grow, and that's exciting because there is grace. The gr- there is a grace and an experience of God, a joy. This passage says an abundance of joy that God has for you to experience in generosity. So it's very hopeful, very hopeful that God has something for you. Here's the other thing. I don't doubt anyone's desire to be generous. I don't doubt that 40%, I don't doubt that the 20% who don't give, that they don't want to be generous or that the 40% that give what for most of them would be below uh, a generous amount, that... um, You know, I don't doubt that anybody wants to be generous, Um, but it's just like in Corinthians. He says, you had a desire, Corinthians, so I'm going to point that out. He says, Paul says, you had a desire, but your execution on the desire is lacking. So, excel in the grace, experience the grace of God, excel in the grace of giving. And we want to help uh, folks in the church with financial management. It's one of the greatest needs that we have Uh, in our culture and as Christians to be good stewards. So we've offered financial classes before. We're about to do that again. So be listening. In the next couple weeks, you'll hear about our next class that we're going to offer that'll just help you, um, help all of us begin to get control of our finances. Uh, Many people want to be generous, but they're so strapped with debt and feel like they're in such a hole that even as I'm sharing this, you just feel buried and hopeless. And I just want to encourage you that you're hearing this with the grace of God. And there is tremendous hope for you. You can get help. Folks can come alongside you, pray with you, train you, help you to be, uh, help you to manage what you have. God can do amazing things. One of the books we have out on our resource center is called Redeeming Money by Paul Tripp. I'd strongly recommend that whether your finances are in order or whether they're out of control. That book is very helpful in dealing with our heart towards finances. So as I look at this passage, I'm going to take a lot of liberty here, and I'm going to paraphrase verse 7 as, as, as a word to us today as a church. He says, as you excel in everything, and he highlights where they excel. Grace Church, as we excel, as you excel in your love for Scripture, as you excel in your embrace of sound doctrine, as you excel in your eagerness to serve, as you excel in your warmth to welcome people, as you excel in your love for one another, as you excel in your seriousness about your marriage and about parenting as a believer, 
as you excel in your desire to apply the gospel to all of your life, your leisure, your work, uh, your service, all of life, as you excel in your heart for the lost and on and on and on, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul says there's many evidences of grace. There are many evidences of generosity grace in our church. But where there are not, may God grip us and change us. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I hope you hear my heart as a pastor. The stats I gave to you say this. We don't need your money. I'm not, we don't need your money. It's really not about the money. We're 8% to the good. We're not hurting. But you need the grace of God. And I love you, and I need the grace of God. And I love you, and I want every member of our congregation to flourish. And here's the flourishing life according to Jesus. It's more blessed, which means happier flourishing. It's more flourishing to give than to receive. The flourishing life, the abundant life, the full life, the life that counts, the life that God has created each of us to live, the life that Jesus has given to us through his death, resurrection, and the pouring out of his spirit is a life of freedom and joy in generosity. And so I want us to flourish. I want those who have not tasted the peculiar and unique and joy of giving freely and seeing God work through you, not just to you, not just in you, but through you. That's an incomparable joy. That's an incomparable satisfaction and fulfillment and flourishing to join God in his generosity mission. The Macedonians arguably could have said, pass on them. They're going to feel really bad. They're poor. They're begging and they have an overflowing joy. They have an abundance of joy. I want every member of our church to know an abundance of joy, to experience the grace of God in all kinds of ways, gratitude, evangelism, uh, worship, but also in giving. Because here he says, excel in this grace also. Because the grace of God is meant to, to, to touch us change us. The grace of God to us is meant to overflow in the grace of giving through us. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.